You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Today's scripture is in Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 25. Please read along. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted on them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are able to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, another beautiful day for us to come together and worship you. God, I thank you um, that you've made a way for us to be justified through faith in Christ. God, I thank you for uh, Pastor Jeremy and, and the other leaders in our church who take the time to learn so that they may bring your word to us each week. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Andrea. Marvin is uh, quickly risen to, uh, everybody's my favorite, and so is Marvin. And and he is so special to me because he's not afraid to talk back to me when I preach. 
Uh, now, to be clear, he's not preaching this morning. I'm preaching, but he's going to give me a little bit of a, a support. When, when the word gets proclaimed, Marvin's not afraid to say amen like we were outside. Uh, when we were in COVID city wearing masks, he actually just brought a little sign that said amen like in cartoons. And he'd be like, I know I'm not supposed to say nothing, pastor, but here you go. For the rest of you, if you'd like to let me know when something that is preached is resonating with you, it is, wow, weird in a Johnson County church like ours to often say something. You can't talk back to me and say, get them. Yes, sir. Amen. Go, Jesus. All of that is in bounds. Thanks, Marvin, for clearing that up. You're welcome. Now to the work at hand. I confess, I'm not a huge fan of musicals, but my wife's love for the show Annie has grown on me over time. Fun little show that tells rags to riches story of Annie and her journey from orphanage to, spoiler alert, to befriend a billionaire by the name of Daddy Warbucks. Not only does she become friends with him, she ends up adopted by this guy, heir of all he has. This feel-good story first hit Broadway in 1977 and has these great songs like It's a Hard Knock Life and Tomorrow, Tomorrow, I Love You Tomorrow. And as you follow this show, you will see it actually is quite successful. Turns out many people in the world love a rags-to-riches story. Uh, unpredictable and exciting end that, while some say it's just cheesy, I think if we're honest, these stories that end up too good to be true really appeal to us. We eat this stuff up. Isn't this why books like Willy Wonka end up being so fun? Hunger Games, even Aladdin, when you take a nobody and they become a somebody, a person who has nothing ends up with everything. We go, I like that story. So it is with Hanny, with Annie. But of course, in real life, we're not that foolish enough to believe this sort of story is possible for us, right? Like we can get lost in that for a couple hours and we would pay good money to see it live, but we don't actually think rags to riches stories works for us. Happily ever after doesn't actually end up happily ever after. And you and I know better than to sing that the sun is going to come out tomorrow because we woke up and tomorrow's oftentimes just as crummy as today. And it is a hard knock life, right? I mean, how many here, instead of getting treated, you get tricked? Instead of kisses, you get kicked. Welcome to real life. Had we visited with Roman Jews a couple thousand years ago, had we gone to them and asked, do you think religiously, you think it's possible that religiously a person who's born with nothing can end up with everything? Roman Jews would say, no, there's no way. And if you told them about Annie and said, hey, what do you think about this storyline? They may go, that's a great invented story, but that's not the way things work religiously. In the world of religion, the religious life is a hard knock life because we've got a bazillion rules to follow and it takes a ton of work. There's circumcision, procedure they do it to little Jewish boys. There's the law, some count 613 different laws they were supposed to follow. There is 
the example of Father Abraham, the religious Jews would have said, we have to follow. The religious life felt like Annie in the orphanage. It ain't no fun. You got work to do. And if you're lucky, you can have a little porridge. But then there comes this letter from Paul. And in this letter from Paul, who had quite a reputation back in the day, he, he starts off pretty dark, saying, y'all are sinners. And, and after he gets through that, he, he opens up and blows their mind with this really beautiful paragraph in Romans 3, 21 to 26, what some argue is the greatest paragraph in Romans, perhaps the greatest paragraph of all time, the goat paragraph where he says, this crucial idea, the righteousness of God has now been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, it's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Which would have just been mind-blowing to the Romans, thinking, no, 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 that ain't how it works, Paul. Their gut reaction would have thought, no, 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 God blesses us if we obey him. That's the way it works. You want to get out the orphanage, so to speak, you better follow the rules. But Paul's explaining in this letter, no, no, you're justified, which is a fancy Christian word for you are made right before God. You are declared righteous before God based on faith in Jesus, not on circumcision, not on the law, not on following Father Abraham. But wait, Paul, bro, that sounds way too good to be true. I mean, if that's true, that changes everything. Well, in our text this morning, this is what Paul's going to want to be sure the Roman Christians understand, and therefore it's what we need to understand as well. And Paul is going to blow our ever-loving minds if we have walked into this thinking that something's too good to be true. Because what he's going to explain in our text is the way of salvation through Jesus Christ is not obey, and then God will bless you. What Paul teaches is opposite to everything that, that, that is inside of us instinctually and everything that operates in every other world religion. Paul's going to teach, no, 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 God will bless you, and then you obey. It's backwards. And in our text then, Paul's going to debunk these three main concerns that Jewish Christians would have had with this. Yeah, but what about circumcision? And what about the law? And what about Father Abraham? He's going to debunk those. And then he's going to get us to the whole point, which happens at the end of this chapter. If you're here and you're newer to the Bible or you're newer to Christianity, understand that the first part of this sermon may feel a little dense because Paul's a little dense. When Paul's dense, it ends up feeling a little dense for us. But, but stick with me because this is going to pay out and you're going to see why what Paul has to say to them then really matters to us today. Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open to Romans chapter 4? We're in verses 9 all the way down to 25. And Paul's going to address some concerns the Roman Christians would have had regarding justification by faith in Jesus Christ. And he's going to debunk three concerns. Those are our first three ideas. If you have sermon notes, you can follow along, see it on the screen. Here's his first idea. Justification is addressing this idea. Justification by faith in Jesus Christ has got to be too good to be true, Paul, because circumcision's necessary to earn God's salvation. That's what the Roman Christians would have been thinking. Circumcision is necessary. This, this has got to be too good to be true. Here's what Paul says, verse 9. Is this blessing, then, only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? 
Now, now if you're looking at the text right there, we got a really crucial word, blessing, which I want to make sure we understand how Paul's using that word blessing because that's the way I want to use it here in the sermon. So what does this word blessing mean? I want to make sure we're clear that it's not some generic idea because I think far too often when we think blessing or my tendency to think blessing is something like, oh man, I'm just living the blessed life. I went to McDonald's and they supersized my value meal for free. I'm blessed, I'm blessed. That's not what Paul's saying here. This, this idea of blessing, if you look in your text, comes from 4, 6. Just look up, chapter 4, verse Seven and eight, you're going to see King David quoting Psalm 32. And there, he gives us what the understanding of blessing is. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. The, the man who's blessed is those whose sins are covered. It, in, in, in today's vernacular, we would say the blessing that Paul means here is you men who are under sin, you women who stand under sin, you kids who are Sinners by nature and choice, you are blessed when God takes your sins and covers them. That's blessing. And that's the good news. So, so Paul says, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? The Roman Jews would have been not wanting to know, do I have to do something to get the blessing? Paul continues, middle of nine. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Well, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. So Paul's answering the question straight away. So to the people wondering, do we have to get circumcised to get the blessing? The answer is no, you don't have to get circumcised because look at Abraham. Abraham was justified by faith. Now, now, in the event that this morning you, you, you sat down at breakfast and you did not brush up on your Abraham storyline, let me do it for you. In Genesis 15, Abraham receives this promise that he is going to be blessed by God. And in Genesis 15, 6, he believes it. He gets circumcised in Genesis 17. Rabbis tell us there was 29 years between when he was first given the promise and believed and then when he was circumcised, okay, 29 years, which is Paul's way of saying he wasn't blessed because he followed the rules because those things came 29 years later. He's justified by faith, not by his obedience. Paul's point, circumcision can't be necessary for God's blessing because look at Abraham. It happened before. Well, then, then well, what is the point of circumcision then? Well, Paul gives that to us in verse 11. Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that Abraham had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose, here it is, was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make Abraham the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of our faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Did, did you get it? Did you get Paul's point? Circumcision is a sign, a seal of the blessing God gave to Abraham, similar to how Christians practice baptism today, it's a sign or a seal of what God has done to us in salvation. And just like a person doesn't get into the baptism waters and then come out and then decide to follow Jesus, 
So it is with circumcision. Paul's explaining Abraham was blessed with God's righteousness and then was circumcised. This is crucial that you get. God did not say, Abraham, obey. And then I'll bless you. It's the other way around. God said, I bless you. Now obey. Now, let me sidebar real quick on this baptism thing because we keep having these conversations. Baptism worth mentioning now, which is uh, uh, New Testament, picks, the New Testament picks up this symbolic act in the picture of baptism. For anybody who believes the gospel here, for anybody who believes that the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, though the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, if you believe that, According to Paul, the way that that conversion experience lands is when you get into the baptism waters and you're put under the water and brought back up as a symbol of what God has done. So that once God has blessed you with salvation, you then obey him in baptism. And, and in obeying him in baptism, according to the New Testament, which Paul's going to get in Romans 6, we'll get here in the text, but for now, it's... It's your way of saying, man, I glorify you, God, and I will obey you, and you're really the boss of my life, and I will do whatever you want me to do. And if this is you, you believe in justification, you believe in Jesus Christ alone, then your application for the sermon is you got to get in the baptism waters. But a word to anyone, anyone in here who goes, yeah, 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 bro, I totally believe in justification by faith. I, I get that, but I'm not getting baptized, man. I would say to you, if, if you know that that's the way Paul teaches and you're saying, yeah, that first step of obedience I don't want to do, that's not demonstrating any sort of faith. That's, in fact, straight-up disobedience. And, and, in fact, if I could be so bold, if, if Paul came to the church and he said, hey, do you believe in justification by faith? And you said, yes. And he goes, well, then you need to get in the waters. And you said, nah, I'm good, bro. I'm good. Paul would scratch his head and go, I don't think you get it. I don't think you understand what we're talking about here. Because, because baptism always flows out of salvation belief. And the Bible has no category for an unbaptized Christian. I read it. You can too. I'm not. Read through it. Look at the book of Acts. There's no category for unbaptized believers. In fact, my guess is Paul would say, if you don't want to do baptism, you're not perhaps converted. Baptism, sidebar, over. You need to wrestle with the text on that one. What Paul's debunked then here is the idea that circumcision is required to be justified by faith when it is not, which means Abraham is our faith father for those who believe and are circumcised as well as those who believe and are not circumcised, which 2,000 years ago would have been a beautiful unifying truth for this church because it was being torn apart, disunity over this issue. I know we've got some issues in our churches today. And what's your view of politics? Who did you vote for? What do you think about masks? What do you think about vaccinations? Have you been vaccinated yet? What's your view? And that stuff can just, can just tear at a church. And I'm sad when it creates disunity in us. 
And while the details are different, though, the same thing was ravaging the Roman church when you had people showing up. Hi, welcome to the Roman church. We're glad to have you here. Just real quick. Are you circumcised? I was just inviting my friend to picnic Sunday here at Roman church. I, I thought we were, man, we, I think we're going to a new church, honey. Circumcision was a wicked, awkward conversation 2,000 years ago. And we got wicked, awkward conversations happening now. But what Paul's doing is unifying them going, man, circumcision, it's not circumcision and then God blesses you. It's faith and then you obey. Well, the good news is circumcision is not necessary for justification by faith in Jesus Christ. The first concern is over. The second concern, though, they would have said, okay, fine, maybe not justification, but what about the law? What about the Ten Commandments? What about the Old Testament? What about those five books that most believe Moses wrote? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There would have been some going, justification by faith in Jesus Christ has got to be too good to be true. Because what about the law? We have to obey the law to be blessed by God. Paul says, verse 13, the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. 14, for it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Paul's explaining that if God only blesses people who are perfectly obedient to the law, then there's no need for faith. You don't need to believe in the promise of God if you've perfectly obeyed the law. But just in case you didn't brush up on your Old Testament history at breakfast, let me remind you, the law, which came down in stone tablets, the Ten Commandments there at Sinai, and then were fully explored and extrapolated into these 613 rules that the rabbis held, that law came 500 years after Abraham lived. So for folks going, well, Abraham perfectly fulfilled the law, you go, what law? It wasn't even there yet. So how can you say Abraham perfectly fulfilled what didn't even come for 500 years? This is what Paul's explaining. Middle of 15 or 16. That is why the blessing depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. What Paul's trying to say is it's not too good to be true. This is a beautiful story. He's saying, Roman Christians, you got to get this. God's blessing is certainly available to those who have the law and who desire to obey the law. And, and yet God's blessing has been made available to those without the law. Therefore, God's blessing is not contingent on whether you have and obey the law or not. The blessing then is for anybody who has faith like Abraham. Remember, God didn't tell Abraham, you obey you obey, then I'll bless you. It's the other way around. God said, I bless you. Now obey. 
When I was a kid, we grew up singing the song Father Abraham. I don't know if you've ever been to a VBS and did the song Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. You can sing if you want. I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm. And now if you never grew up in this, you think we're crazy. We are. Here we are. Why are you doing the right arm thing? We don't know. Nobody knows, except you got a bunch of 10-year-old Jeremy's back there who can't barely sit in their seat. And so they're like, get him up, do Father Abraham one more time. And by the end of it, you're doing right arm, left arm. If we turn around, you do this one. I mean, they had us doing every action known to man. Then you sit down, and that's Father Abraham. <laughs> uh, basically, it's like do some CrossFit workout for 30 seconds, then we'll sit them down. They're singing something in the Old Testament. Let's think about that, that song, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. But I don't think it quite gets it right on the nose what Paul's teaching, because he says, I am, the, the song, re, song lyrics are, I am one of them. And so are you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Only if you have faith like Abraham are you one of Abraham's true sons. Ain't nothing about obedience in this deal. It's all about do you have faith of Abraham. So if we're going to rewrite the song, we'd have to add that little caveat. I am one of them and so are you. If we have faith like Abraham, and then we can do all the mumbo jumbo we want to do. Now that's what Paul wanted the Romans to know. Man, it's not from circumcision. God's, God's blessing doesn't come from circumcision. God's blessing doesn't come from the law. Just like Abraham, God's blessing comes from faith. Here's then an application for you to write down. Though our tendency is to think God's blessing comes from our obedience, we've got to get this, church. God's blessing rests on grace, not obedience. God's blessing rests on grace, not obedience. This is good news. I mean, if you're here thinking, what? I thought I'd just do the hard knock life thing, and I eat enough of my porridge, and I do enough of that cleaning for God. He's going to want me to come into his family, but that's not the way the biblical story works. God doesn't bring you into his family because of how awesome you are about obeying him. In fact, go back to the text, Romans 1.18 to 3.20. You're not awesome. I said, in 1.18 to 3.20, it says, you are not awesome. You are sinners. I'm a sinner. I know Lego made a bunch of money off that song, Everybody is Awesome, but it's not that true. Everybody's awesome wicked. Everybody's sinning. Everybody's headed for eternal wrath and destruction. It's just not catchy. I get it why they didn't do it that way. This is what the text is teaching. I mean, we aren't blessed because we're so great and we've got this great resume. Look at my letter jacket. I got all these bars on it. God, aren't you so glad? And God's up there going, yeah, man, I didn't know what I was going to do if I didn't have you, Jeremy, on my team because Lord knows I need you and everything you bring to the table. <laughs> God welcomes us and blesses us, not because of our obedience, but because of his grace. And there's nothing we bring to the table. And, and Paul, now having debunked circumcision and the law, now Paul's going to go right for the jugular, what he's been dancing around this whole 
chapter, this whole section is Abraham because, because Abraham, he was the first patriarch. Abraham's the granddaddy. I mean, he's the granddaddy of us Christians and Jews. Even Muslims hold Abraham as the granddaddy. So, so Paul's point is, man, if I can prove to you that Abraham, the progenitor of our faith, actually was believing in, in grace and the promise came through faith, then it's going to follow that this is how the whole Bible makes sense. And that's where he goes here in this third concern, justification by faith, though, someone said, it's just got to be too good to be true because Abraham earned God's blessing. Paul, Abraham earned it. That's why he's so blessed. Look what Paul's going to say, middle of 17. In the presence of the God in whom Abraham believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, and hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Now keep in mind, if you don't remember the story of Abraham, he's an old man and he was been promised by God that he's going to be blessed and he is going to be the legit father of many nations. Like, look up at the stars, try to count them, Abraham. That's how many sons and offspring you're going to have. Except for this one little problem, he and Sarah couldn't have no babies. Infertility. Was it Abraham's issue? Was it Sarah's issue? They both got issues. Abraham can't have babies. Sarah's infertile. And yet, God made this promise to Abraham and this is what Abraham did in response. Spoiler alert, it's not try to obey more. 19, Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. I'm clipping up on 41, and I'm wicked tired with little babies. This cat's 100. Those of you close to 100, can you imagine having a little baby? Just as good as dead since he's about 100 years older when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Abraham fully convinced that God was able to do what God had promised. That's why Abraham's faith was counted to him as a righteousness. All right, do you see... Climb up with me to the 50,000-foot level with Abraham. Our details are different, but this is where Abraham and us have something very similar. Abraham heard the promise of God. Abraham heard the very word of God, and he said, I believe it. Talk to me, Marvin. I believe it. I hope you're connecting this with how this is so similar to us. Hoping against hope that what God said was true, Abraham in his heart, had said to himself, yeah, man, I mean, if you say it, then I'm going to bet on it. Meaning that if we could invent a time machine and we could bring Abraham here, wouldn't that be fun? Hey, church, we're going to have a little testimony time. Uh, Father Abraham, would you say a few words? Whatever language he speaks in, if we add him up here and, and we said to Abraham, Abraham, do you really think that... Before he has all his kids, let's, let's get him somewhere in Acts 17, or excuse me, Genesis 17. We pull Abraham up here and we said, um, Abraham, I have a question for you. Did God make you a promise? Abraham would say, yes, he did. And if he said, well, do you believe that promise? Abraham would go, I do. And then if he said, whoa, 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 bro, you're like 100 years old. Your wife's like 99. I mean, do you even know how biology works? Like, I took sex ed. This thing's not going to work out for you guys. Abraham would say, I still believe it. And I agree. I'm old. 
And I agree it's unlikely, but God promised me. But if you kept pushing and kind of touching this nerve, which I would guess eventually it'd be a sensitive spot for Abraham, and you go, oh, come on. Like, don't you even know what science is? Like, like get in reality, Abraham. Eventually, think you could push Abraham. He would probably say in some passion, at least the way I see it, he'd go, I'm telling you, I don't care. I don't care. When God says that he can do something, I believe it. I believe it, even, even if it doesn't make any sense to me, man. I'm, I, I just, I'm trusting that when God makes a promise, he's going to keep it. So that's where I'm putting my hope. And in this way, we're like Abraham in that we're surrounded by death. You and I look around, death's everywhere. And, and, and we're like Abraham in that we struggle to believe that God can bring into existence that which is not in existence right now. You ever struggle to believe that God can do what he says? We're just like Abraham. And, and so interesting in verses 19 and 20, it indicates that the older Abraham got, the stronger his faith got, which implies that a person can have weak faith or strong faith. And every year that, that Abraham climbs in his age, our sense would be is another year he goes, Ain't no baby's coming, man. How could a baby? I'm even older this time. But no, he just grows stronger, not weaker. We're just like Abraham in the ways that we are surrounded by death. We struggle to believe God can call into existence anything he wants. I love how John Calvin makes a point that connects here. Calvin writes, all things around us are in opposition to the promises of God. God promises immortality, but we're surrounded with mortality and corruption. God declares that we're counted just, but we are covered with our sins. God testifies that he is kind to us, but outward judgments threaten his wrath. What then is to be done? Calvin writes, we must with closed eyes pass by ourselves and all things connected with us that nothing may hinder or prevent us from believing that God is true. Here's the application I'd love for you to write down here, grow strong in faith. Uh, uh, even when things seem lost, even when death seems to be looming, if all you can see with your eyes is all these terrible tragedies and follow Calvin's direction, close your eyes and just set your heart and mind on what God has promised. For of course, this isn't just physical death that's around us but lots of types of death. The family members who we share the gospel with who are spiritually dead and we think there's no hope. Friends and neighbors who seem so far from God don't weaken in faith. If a friendship is dying of somebody you love, that friendship gets fractured. If you have an adult son or daughter and that relationship has been fractured and it just feels like that thing is dying, maybe you're in a marriage and things have gotten hard. And you just think, I don't know what's going to happen. It looks like death is looming. Don't weaken in faith. Man, grow strong in faith. God gives life. Believe it. God can call into existence that which does not exist. So if you're here and you're struggling with faith, whether you're here and you're a Christian and you're struggling to reconcile how God's word intersects with science, 
maybe you're struggling to understand how God's sovereignty interacts with suffering. You're trying to make sense of all of this. Know this, you're not alone. And you're not the first person to ever look around the world and go, God, hello, you make these promises, but they're not coming true. For while it can feel that everything around us is opposed to the promises of God, don't weaken in faith. In fact, grow in faith, which makes you go, perhaps like me, well, how do I do that? Here's what John Stott says. Above all, through the use of our minds, faith is not burying our head in the sand or screwing ourselves up to believe what we know is not true or even whistling in the dark to keep our spirits up. That's not faith. On the contrary, faith is a reasoning trust. There can be no believing without thinking. I love that. Faith is reasoned trust. Friends, use your mind. You need to exercise your brain. Kids, don't you ever come into a sermon and just check your brain at the door going, whatever the preacher says, he has to be correct. Only so far as it aligns with the word of God. Let us, with reasoned faith, understand that the Bible's worldview is reasonable. Christianity calls us to believe in something plausible that doesn't make faith a simple response or even easy, but understand biblical faith is not mere superstition and it's certainly not irrationality, though folks outside of the faith may point at us and go, y'all are dummies. Y'all don't think. On the contrary, we think it through. That's what, that's what you have to do for reasoned faith is to, is to believe through thinking. Biblical faith then is Hebrews 11.1, 1, the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And this is how we parallel with Abraham, a reasoned belief, a plausible worldview that offers better explanations than anybody out there can offer. Meaning people out there are gonna say, you Christians, you're, you're, you're ridiculous. You don't believe in science. You don't, you don't believe in reality. You're like off on some Gilligan's Island by yourself. The challenge I would ask is, well, the Bible actually gives satisfying answers to some of the world's greatest questions, a framework with legitimate answers for who we are, where we came from, where we're going, what the purpose of life is. And sure, others may think we're foolish, but what alternatives are there? Atheism? That this is all a chance? That's, that's awful. Agnosticism? That there is no purpose in our life? That we're just... Hopeless beings? Another world religion that teaches, well, you have to obey and then God will bless us. Talk about an anxiety attack. How do I ever know if I've done enough? A biblical faith that teaches God blesses us and then calls us to obey. Yes, please. Here's, here's the point. And don't weaken in faith. Grow in faith. Strengthen these mind muscles to see how reasonable and plausible it is. Well, Paul has debunked then three concerns the Roman Christians would have had. And now he builds to the culmination of the entire chapter. Here's our final point. Justification by faith in Jesus Christ. It may seem too good to be true, but it isn't. God's blessing is for anyone who believes the gospel. Final section in the text. The words, quote, it was counted to Abraham, end quote, were not written for Abraham's sake alone. But for ours also, it, 
righteousness, will be counted to us who believe in God, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who is delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Here Paul lands a plane. Because this is why we put this, this is why God put that whole Genesis 15, 6 section in our scripture. Not just for Moses and the Israelites, Romans, for us today, and I would say, Mill Creekers, for right here and now. Here's the benefit. If we, like Abraham, will believe that God gives life to the dead, God will count this belief. As righteousness. This is the righteousness that has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, it's the righteousness of faith in Jesus Christ. That's the parallel. Here's the sermon in a sentence God will bless anyone who believes the gospel. God will bless you. God will bless anyone who believes the gospel who believes what Paul lays out here at the end of chapter four. What are the specifics there at the end of four? Here's, here's our application. This is what Paul's driving to, the whole text. Application, you want the blessing of God? <laughs> you want an ending to your life that's too good to be true? You want a life story that makes Annie look like chump change? Here's what you gotta believe. First, believe, 24b, God raised Jesus from the dead. Do you believe that? Here's the way I work it out in my brain. One day we all face judgment and I see myself in front of the throne of the Father and he just asked me that straight up. Do you believe that? I know what I'm going to say. What are you going to say? Are you going to say yes or no? Do you believe it? Jeremy, I just don't know, man. I, I don't know if I really believe it. Jeremy, how can you be so sure that this happened? Well, I believe that the world was created, but I wasn't at creation when it happened, but I just look around and I work my brain on it and I go, man, I just don't think this thing happens by accident. Just like if I was walking on a beach and I found a watch, I wouldn't just go, wow, ocean, that was a really great invention you just spat out. It just makes no sense to me. And some may call me foolish for thinking such a thing, but I look outside and I just go, man, this thing has to be created. I talk to my doctor friends who say the human body's so fine-tuned, there's just no way it could be chance. And I go, yeah, I guess... I guess I believe I was created. I, I also believe the ocean's deep, but I've never been there. But I've read that it's deep, and Wikipedia says it's deep, and I trust experts who've gone down and say it'll kill you if you get down to the bottom of it, and I'd like not to test the hypothesis. I just believe them. And I, I think that Napoleon really lived. I wasn't there with him, but I think the history books are probably true that Napoleon lived. There's a bunch of things that I believe like that, though I wasn't there. And here on this one, I'd go, yeah, just like Ramses was a pharaoh and Shakespeare wrote some, wrote some plays, I think Jesus really lived. And he really died, which in fact, uh, most nearly everybody ever believes those two truths. The third one's the big one. Did he come back to life? It turns out, we got the eyewitnesses here. I believe it. Do you? Do you believe God raised Jesus from the dead? Before the throne of God, I'd be able to say, I believe it. I don't get how, but I believe that. Two, do you believe Jesus was crucified for our trespasses? That's what Paul's saying you gotta believe. That Jesus... He wasn't in the wrong place at the wrong time. And Jesus wasn't just saying, I'll be a good example. Look how good of an example I'll be. Though it was a good example, that's not the big part of it. The big reason Jesus died was because of our sin. Remember? Everyone's a sinner. Everyone deserves the righteous wrath and eternal conscious punishment. 
Jesus died because of my sin. Jesus died because of your sin. And there at judgment, if God asks, if the Father asks me, do you believe this? I'd say yes, because I know I'm a sinner. Third, I believe Jesus was raised for our justification. He was raised and it declares me righteous before God. Jesus being raised is like a receipt. It's like a receipt that proves I'm declared righteous before God, not because of anything I did, but because of Jesus, my sin was paid in full. Here then is the promise that may sound too good to be true. Despite our sin and guilt and our unrighteousness, we can be declared not guilty. Not guilty. This is the original story. Every other story tries to copy, by the way. Talk about rags to riches. We deserve nothing, and we get everything. I mean, we not only get justification, just like Annie, we get adoption. That's Romans 8. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but we are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Daddy Warbucks might make us feel good. A billionaire adopted dad, can you imagine? I can. We got the trillionaire, the quadrillionaire. Keep going, whatever the numbers are. That's our father. All right, if you're here and you have no faith in Jesus, you don't believe this. Oh, today's a day. It's easy. You have to do is say, please, I, I want to believe this. And then the spirit would give you life. If you're here and you're struggling with faith, man, think it out. Think it out. Apply your brain. Get one of our Roman scripture journals. Read the text and just read Romans. Work it out. Let us help you. If you're strong in faith, man, invest in others, just like Paul's doing in this letter. Impress these truths, justification by faith. Don't waver. Spend your life, disciples making disciples for God's glory. It's not a hard knock life forever. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I love you tomorrow. There's coming a day when we're going to be in glory. It's the ultimate rags to riches story. Till that day, those of you strong in faith, let us invest ourselves for the kingdom of God. Pray with me, please. Now, Christ, would you take these meager words and would you feed your people? For those here who don't have faith, Spirit, do a miracle and grant saving faith. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Romans. Do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.